Chapter 8 of The Slayer of Souls. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kathleen. The Slayer of Souls by Robert W. Chambers. The Man in White. It was the sixth hole that they passed the man ahead who was playing all alone a courteous young fellow in white flannels who smiled and bowed them through in silence they thanked him drove from the tea and left the polite and reticent young man still apparently hunting for a lost ball like other things which depended upon dexterity and precision tressa had taken most naturally to golf her supple muscles helped at the ninth hole they looked back but did not see the young man in white flannels hammock set with pine and palmetto and intervals of evil-looking swamp flanked the course rank wire grass bayberry and shrub palmetto bounded the fair green on every blossoming bush hung butterflies palomides swallowtails drugged with sparkleberry honey their gold and black velvet wings conspicuous in the sunny mist like the ceremonial vestments of a yazidi executioner murmured the girl the chorchas wear red when they robe to do a man to death i wish you could forget those things said cleves i am trying i wonder where that young man in white went cleves searched the links i don't see him perhaps he had to go back for another ball i wonder who he is she mused i don't remember seeing him before said cleves shall we start back they walked slowly across the course toward the tenth hole tressa teed up drove low and straight cleves sliced and they walked together into the scrub and towards the woods where his ball had bounded into a bunch of palm trees far in among the trees something white moved and vanished probably a white egret he remarked knocking about in the scrub with his mid-iron it was that young man in white flannels said tressa in a low voice what would he be doing in there he asked incredulously that's merely a jungle tressa swamp and cypress thorn and creeper and no man would go into that mess if he could there is no bottom to those swamps but i saw him in there she said in a troubled voice but when i tell you that only a wild animal or a snake or a bird could move in that jungle the bog is one vast black quicksand there's death in those depths victor yes he looked around at her she was pale he came up and took her hand inquiringly i don't feel well she murmured i'm not ill you understand what's the matter tressa she shook her head drearily i don't know i wonder whether i should have tried to amuse you this morning you don't think you've stirred up any of those yezidi beast do you he asked sharply and as she did not answer he asked again whether she was afraid that what she had done that morning might have had any occult consequences and he reminded her that she had hesitated to venture anything on that account his voice in spite of him betrayed great nervousness now and he saw apprehension in her eyes also why should that man in white have followed us keeping out of sight in the woods he went on did you notice about him anything to disturb you tressa not at the time but it's odd i can't put him out of my mind since we passed him and left him apparently hunting a lost ball 
I have not been able to put him out of my mind. He seemed civil and well-bred. He was perfectly good-humoured, all courtesy and smiles. I think, perhaps, it was the way he smiled at us, murmured the girl. Everybody in the East smiles when they draw a knife. He placed his arm through hers. Aren't you a trifle morbid, he said pleasantly. She stooped for her golf ball, retaining a hold on his arm. He picked up his ball, too, put away her clubs and his, and they started back together in silence, evidently with no desire to make it eighteen holes. It's a confounded shame, he muttered, just as you were becoming so rested and so delightfully well, to have anything, any unpleasant flash of memory cut in to upset you. I brought it on myself. I should not have risked stirring up the sinister minds that were asleep. Hang it all, and I asked you to amuse me. It was not wise in me, she said under her breath. It is easy to disturb the unknown currents which enmesh the globe. I ought not to have shown you, Ian. I ought to have shown you, Eulen. It was my fault for doing that. I was a little lonely, and I wanted you to see Eulen. They came down the river back to the canoe, threw in their golf bags, and embarked on the glassy stream. Over the calm flood, stained deep with crimson, the canoe glided in the sanguine evening light. Patressa sang no more, and her head was bent sideways, as though listening, always listening, to something inaudible to Cleves, something very, very far away, which she seemed to hear through the still drip of the paddles. They were not yet in sight of their landing, when she spoke to him, partly turning. I think some of your men have arrived. Where? he asked, astonished. At the house. Why do you think so? I think so. They paddled a little faster. In a few minutes their dock came into view. It's funny, he said, that you should think some of our men have arrived from the north. I don't see anybody on the dock. It's Mr. Recklow, she said in a low voice. He is seated on our veranda. As it was impossible to see the house, let alone the veranda, Cleves made no reply. He beached the canoe. Tressa stepped out. He followed, carrying the golf bags. A mousy light lingered in the shrubbery. Bats were flying against a salmon-tented sky as they took the path homeward, with an impulse quite involuntary. Cleves encircled his young wife's shoulder with his left arm. Girl comrade, he said lightly. I'd kill any man who even looked as though he'd harm you. He smiled, but she had not missed the ugly undertone in his words. They walked slowly, his arm around her shoulders. Suddenly he felt her start. They halted. What is it? he whispered. I thought there was something white in the woods. Where, dear? he asked coolly. Over there beyond the lawn. What she called the lawn was only a vast sheet of pink and white flocks, now all misty with whirring wings of sphinx moths and noctuidae the oak grove beyond was dusky cleves could see nothing among the trees after a moment they went forward his arm had fallen away from her shoulders there were no lights except in the kitchen when they came in sight of the house at first nobody was visible on the screened veranda under the orange trees but when he opened the swing door for her a shadowy figure arose from a chair it was john recklow he came forward bent his strong white head, and kissed Tressa's hand. Is all well with you, Mrs. Cleves? Yes, I'm glad you came. Cleves clasped the elder man's firm hand. I'm glad too, Recklow. You'll stop with us, of course. Do you really want me? Of course, said Cleves. All right. I've a coon in a surrey behind your house. 
so cleves went around in the dusk and sent the outfit back to the hotel and he himself carried in recklow's suitcase then tressa went away to give instructions and the two men were left together on the dusky veranda well said recklow quietly cleves went to him and rested both hands on his shoulders i'm playing absolutely square she's a perfectly fine girl and she'll have her chance some day god willing her chance repeated recklow to marry whatever man she will some day care for i see said recklow dryly there was a silence then she's simply a splendid specimen of womanhood said cleves earnestly and intensely interesting to me why recklow i haven't known a dull moment though i fear she has known many why why well being married to a a sort of temporary figurehead shut up here all day alone with a man of no particular interest to her don't you interest her well how could i she didn't choose me because she liked me particularly didn't she asked recklow still more dryly well that does make it a trifle dull for both of you not for me said the younger man naively she is one of the most interesting women i ever met and good heavens what psychic knowledge that child possesses she did a thing to-day merely to amuse me he checked himself and looked at recklow out of sombre eyes what did she do inquired the older man i think i'll let her tell you if she wishes and that reminds me why did you come down here recklow i want to show you something cleves may we step into the house they went into a little lamplit living room recklow handed a newspaper clipping to cleves the latter read it standing had deadliest gas ready for germans lewisite might have killed millions washington april twenty four guarded night and day and far out of human reach on a pedestal at the interior department exposition here is a tiny vial it contains a specimen of the deadliest poison ever known lewisite the product of an american scientist germany escaped this poison by signing the armistice before all the resources of the united states were turned upon her ten airplanes carrying lewisite would have wiped out it is said every vestige of life animal and vegetable in berlin a single day's output would snuff out the millions of lives on manhattan island a drop poured in the palm of the hand would penetrate to the blood reach the heart and kill the victim in agony what was coming to germany may be imagined by the fact that when the armistice was signed lewisite was being manufactured at the rate of ten tons a day three thousand tons of this most terrible instrument ever conceived for killing would have been ready for business on the american front in france on november first lewisite is another of the big secrets of the war just leaking out it was developed in the bureau of mines by professor w lee lewis of northwestern university evanston illinois who took a commission as a captain in the army the poison was manufactured in a specially built plant near cleveland called the mousetrap because every workman who entered the stockade went under an agreement not to leave the eleven-acre space until the war was won the object of this of course was to protect the secret work on the plant was started eighteen days after the bureau of mines had completed its experiments experts are certain that no one will want to steal the sample everybody at the exposition which shows what secretary lane's department is doing keeps as far away from it as possible when cleves had finished reading he raised his eyes in silence that file was stolen a week ago said recklow 
gravely by a young man who killed one guard and fatally wounded the other was there any anti-mortem statement yes i followed the man i lost all trace of him at palm beach but i picked it up again at ormond and now i'm here cleves you don't mean you've traced him here exclaimed cleves under his breath he's here on the st john's river somewhere he came up in a motor-boat but left it east of orchard cove benton knows this country he's covering the motor-boat and i came here to see how you are getting on and to warn us added cleves quietly well yes he's got that stuff it's deadlier than the newspaper suspects and i guess i guess cleves he's one of those damned yesidi witch-doctors or sorcerers as they call them one of that sect of assassins sent over here to work havoc on feeble minds and do murder on the side why do you think so because the dirty beast lugs his shroud around with him a bedsheet stolen from the new willard in washington we were so close to him in jacksonville that we got it and his luggage but we didn't get him the rat god knows how he knew we were waiting for him in his room he never came back to get his luggage but he stole a bedsheet from his hotel in st augustine and that is how we picked him up again then at palm beach we lost the beggar but somehow or other i felt it in my bones that he was after you you and your wife so i sent benton to ormond and i went to palaka benton picked up his trail it led toward you toward the st john's and the reptile has been here forty-eight hours trying to nose you out i suppose tressa came into the room both men looked at her cleve said in a guarded voice to-day on the golf links at orchard cove there was a young man in white flannels very polite and courteous to us but tressa thought she saw him slinking through the woods as though following and watching us my man probably said recklow he turned quietly to tressa and sketched for her the substance of what he had just told cleves the man in white flannels on the golf links said cleves was well built and rather handsome and not more than twenty-five i thought he was a jew i thought so too said tressa calmly until i saw him in the woods and then and then suddenly it came to me that his smile was the smile of a treacherous shaman sorcerer and the idea haunts me the memory of the smooth-faced smiling men in white men who smile only when they slay when they slay body and soul under the iris skies of yen o oh god merciful long-suffering she whispered staring into the east deliver our souls from satan who was stoned and our bodies from the snare of the izidi chapter eight